Lord, what a Savior. God, what a, what a gift. Lord, what you did for us. The burden you bore, the, the suffering that you went through. What a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. God, we had no way to do it on our own. And we did not deserve for you to send your son to do it for us, and yet you did. You provided the way to an undeserving people. God, don't let us leave here ungrateful. Don't let us leave here unchanged. Y you did an amazing, amazing thing for us. And that, that, that doesn't even come close to getting to, to, to what you did. Lord, as your words are shared this morning, as we speak, as we pray, God, let, it, let us be used by you. Let us know your salvation this morning. Those who have experienced your salvation before, just let it flow through us again. Let us feel, let us feel brand new in a life that may seem old sometimes. And God, for those who have never experienced your salvation, let this be the day. Let their lives, in celebration of your resurrection, Jesus, let their lives be resurrected today. Do amazing things among us, Lord. Speak to us. God, we praise you and we worship you for all that you have done. We stand amazed at what you have done. Lord, we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. This was probably my most, one of my most difficult sermons to prepare. Um, not because the, 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 the subject matter was difficult, not because the verses were difficult, uh, just because of, of the, really the format. I, normally when I preach, I preach one of two different things. We either preach through a story, a narrative in the Bible, and then we draw the principles from that narrative that we're supposed to learn. Or I preach uh, theology, doctrine, deep stuff, and we end up having to go kind of word by word through it to see what the writer was, was telling us. What is God wanting us to, to learn and to understand through this? This morning was not really either of those. Uh, we're going to look at four different verses. And remember I told you last week that we are beginning a series of April called Know Your Priorities. What is our priority in life? What, what is the one thing, last week we talked about, that one thing that is necessary? What is that one thing in our life? What has God called us to do that, that we are letting life get in the way of? And then, once we know the priority, as Jesus told us, that the, the one thing that was most important Mary had chosen, Martha was working, Mary had chosen the one thing, and that's the gospel, that's, that's Jesus. That's the one thing that's necessary. The rest of the month, we're going to look at different people and how they 
prioritized their life? What was their priority that we see in the Bible? This week, we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to see what his number one priority was. And we're going to see this first in Luke 9.51. And as I say, we're going to look at three other places with a couple of other scriptures thrown in. But this is going to help us see what was Jesus' priority. And, and, and we might think, well, we've, we already know we've got that. Yeah, trust me, it never hurts to look at it again. Because we do know what Jesus came for. But let's, let's look at his focus for a minute. So what I want you to get out of this is a kind of a stepped back overall look at the life of Jesus. And we're not going to cover the whole life. We don't have time for that. But we're going to look at four particular verses and, and, and see what Jesus' priority was. Now going into it, we need to ask some questions first. Kind of get, a, get us thinking. When God gives you a call, when he puts a call on your life, when he asks you to, invites you to join, to join him in his activity, what's your response? What do you say? I, I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't have this, I don't want to. What's your response? The next question then, okay, let's say you, you, you mentally, okay, God, you agree. Then, then what do you do? Do you make that a priority in your life? Is it the number one thing? Does that become the focus of your life? That's the question. Because, let, I'll, I'll say this at the outset, that's the calling God has on every one of our lives. Making Him first, and everything else second. And if we're not doing that, then our priorities are out of whack. Not because Jesus is going to punish us somehow. Not because... Uh, things are going to be, you know, go to pot all of a sudden because we're not doing it in the right order, though they may very well uh, do that. But because if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're also called to accept Him as our Lord. Make Him our Master. And, and, the, and the slave does not tell the Master what the slave is going to do. The Master tells the slave. We have sold ourselves, we've actually given ourselves to Christ and said, you paid for my freedom, now I'm giving my life to you in response to that. But then we say, here's my life, Lord. Now, if you would just not screw with it too much, I'd be happy so I can go on and live my life. I got you a savior, I like it, that's nice. Now if you'll just let me go. That's not what Jesus tells us. It's not what the Bible tells us. So we ask these questions does that become your priority? Does that become your focus? And see, what we understand is that it was the priority, it was the focus for Jesus. We see that actually all the way back to the age of 12 is the first record we get of that. And you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you right quick. In Luke chapter 2, when uh, they had gone to Jerusalem for Passover and were heading home, they got to looking for Jesus and couldn't find him. And when they found him, he was in the temple. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, he says to, to Mary and Joseph, Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Another possible way to translate that, instead of to be in my father's house, is to say, Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Didn't you know what my priority was? 
At 12 years old, he knew the focus. He knew the priority of his life. Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? And, and that, should be, that should be our answer. Anytime anything comes up, we should say, our response should be, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? In all aspects of life. But actually, it didn't just stop it, it begin at age 12. Jesus knew that was the plan long before creation. He was crucified before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells us. This was the plan all along. The Son of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son knew from eternity past that this day was coming. That two days ago was coming. Three days ago, Friday. He knew that that was his purpose and that today would be the celebration. So we see that in the life of Jesus. We see that he knew his focus. But let's, let's look at a picture of that, kind of a mosaic, if you will, of four different pictures. Luke 9:51. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. Now this is just, if you're not careful, you, you pass over this verse because it's, it's not Jesus talking. It's not a parable. It's not, uh, it's not a miracle story. It's, it doesn't seem like much of anything. It, it just seems like, a, just you know, and this was what was going on at this time. I had to put a filler in and this verse was empty, so I, I put something in. No, 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 not at all. Uh, this moment was when Jesus, in his ministry on earth, focused on the cross and said, this is where I'm going. The time has come for me to get there. And it says that he determined to journey, journey to Jerusalem. That phrase coming to a close, this is God's purpose soon to be realized. As a matter of fact, the verb has a divine tone to it. Our verbs don't have tones so much. But this verb was used for divine initiative. This was God's timetable. This was God saying, the time has come, my boy. Make your way to Jerusalem. Jesus understood that. Jesus knew what was coming. He was to be, the, the todays were coming to a close for him to be taken up. Taken up could be literally, he was taken up, could also mean death. They could go both ways. Obviously, we know he meant both things. He knew he was going to die in Jerusalem. He knew that 50-ish days later, he was going to be taken up. And he would be uh, exalted to heaven. So when those days had come, he set his face. The word there, determined to journey to Jerusalem, really means he set his face. It was, you could see it in him. His, his demeanor changed because now he had one goal and he had one focus. And this throws us back to verse 22 of chapter 9, maybe on the same page, maybe a page back, when he tells, uh, the, he's predicting to the disciples, he strictly warned them, instructed them to tell nobody, saying, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Verse 51 is the must. He says in verse 22, this must happen. And verse 51 says, it's time. We see Jesus' focus. We see him turn his face 
to Jerusalem, set his face knowing that's where I'm going. It's time for me to go. Flip over to Luke 22. This is the second picture of this four-picture mosaic. Luke 22, verse 42. Here we see him in the garden. It's after the Last Supper. He has given his final instructions. We, when we read John, we see chapters of, 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 of teachings that he, he gave the, the disciples at the Last Supper. Here he has moved on to the garden. He's praying. We know that during this time he sweat blood. He was under such tremendous pressure and stress. And he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, back in verse 51, he set his face. He knew the, the focus. He knew the goal, and he would not be diverted. Nothing would change no, him going toward that goal of the cross. Nothing would stop him. Now, it would take a while. He took a rather circuitous route to get to Jerusalem. He could have gotten there much quick, more quickly than he did, but he had ministry to do. He had teaching to do. He set his face. This verse, now it's time. You know, it's one thing in our lives, let's use surgery, for example, to know I have to get a pretty tr radical surgery done in eight weeks. The date is set. I know when it is now. We would, that would be us at verse 51 saying, I have set my face to the surgery. I know it's coming. Scary enough then, but the night before, you know the next morning you're getting up and you're going into surgery, and it could be dangerous enough that there's no guarantee that you come out the other side. That would be a scary time. That would be the time where you second guess and think, Maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe my chances are better if I don't. Maybe I shouldn't take this leap. Maybe I shouldn't go this direction. That's where we find Jesus in the garden. Not saying maybe I shouldn't. He never thought he shouldn't do this. He knew that he should do whatever God's will was in his life. He knew that. But, but maybe... Maybe there's another way. See here, Jesus faces God's will. He knows it's coming. At this moment, the soldiers are coming to arrest him toward the garden. He knows that. He's God. He knows the moment is coming, and yet he's tempted to forfeit the plan. Now, you're thinking, oh, no, he wasn't. Hold on. We'll get there in a minute. He says to his father, if you are willing, take this cup. See, he prefers another way. God, if there is another way to do this, do it. Why? Did he not want the salvation of the world? Absolutely not. That is not the case. He did. Did, did he not know this is the plan from creation, from before creation? Absolutely he knew that. He knew what the plan was. If you are willing, take this cup. This is Jesus' flesh. You want proof of the humanity of Christ? 
Here we go. The very God in the flesh who knew the plan, who knew three days later he rises again, who knew in a few weeks he would be taken up to sit at the right hand of the Father and knew at some point he would come back in glorious victory to take all of his children home. The man who knew that was praying in the garden saying, God, if there is some other way, why? Because his flesh, his humanity knew the pain he was going to suffer over the next 15, 16 hours. Jesus knew this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be fun. This is going to be one of the most horrible experiences anyone has ever had to go through. Not just the physical pain. Let's be clear. The physical pain would be bad enough. The torture, the beatings, the whipping, the pulling out of the beard so that flesh, uh, chunks of flesh came out with the hair, the, the crown of thorns, the being hit over the head with a staff, the punches, the slaps, the nails through the wrists and the feet, the, 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 the suffocation as he hangs there. Bad as that was, he then had to carry your sins. He had to carry your guilt. He had to carry the punishment that God owed you. And he took it for you. And he knew this is going to be hard. This is not going to be something, this is not something I want, my body wants to go through. He did not want to be forsaken by his father. But, you, not my will, he says. He submits. It's not about me. I will go through this, Father, if this is the way. Knowing it was the way. Yours be done. See, he trusts God. If there is another way, let it happen. If not... If this is the way, Father, you are most glorified, then I will go through it. Now, I said he was tempted to forfeit the plan. Yes, he was. Nowhere did Jesus sin in this entire episode, and in his entire life. See, understand that temptation is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted... Uh, for 40 days. Remember the devil. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was hungry. And, and the devil came and tempted him three different ways. Said, yeah, yeah, you know, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. You can do it. You've got the power. No. And he quotes scripture. So I'll tell you what. Uh, throw yourself off this cliff and, and angels will come and get you. They're not going to let you uh, die. Not going to let you hurt yourself. And then the devil turns around and twists Scripture. And Jesus responds with Scripture interpreted correctly and defeats the temptation. And then the third thing was that Satan was talking about this day on the third temptation. He said, tell you what, you're here to save the nations, right? That's what you're, you're going to do. I, I got that. You know, you're going you're gonna to come and, 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 and you're going to save everybody. I tell you what, Jesus, let me make a deal with you. They're mine right now. 
if you'll just worship me, I'll give them to you. They're yours. And see, Satan does not have foreknowledge. He may have heard of the plan at this point, but he didn't have foreknowledge. I don't know that he knew of the cross or, or anything. But Jesus did. Jesus knew the cross was coming. And so Jesus was in his mind, what, what Satan was doing was saying, in effect, you don't have to go through all that. You don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to go through the pain and the suffering and the rejection of your father. You don't, you don't have to do that. Tell you what, if you'll just worship me, Jesus, I'll give it all to you. And then the cross never happened. And Jesus tells him, you don't worship anybody but God. Get away from me. See, the temptation was there, but the sin wasn't. And we see the same thing here. See, to ask for a change is not a sin. To, 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 to say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, how this is going to work. I don't like how it looks like it's going to work. Can you do something about that? Can we go, do this another way? That's not a sin. It's never a sin to go to God with misunderstanding. It's never a sin to go to God with concern and say, God, I don't understand your plan, and I don't really like your plan at this moment. But see, the sin would have been for him to say, therefore, I am not going to go through with your plan because it doesn't fit what I would like to have right at this moment in my life. And that's not what Jesus does. Father, not you, my will, but your will be done. He submits, he's focused on that priority, and he knows where he's going. Next picture in the mosaic, John 18. John chapter 18, and we're going to be in John chapter 18 for both of these verses, so you want to turn again. John chapter 18 says, uh, it's verse 11, John 18, 11. At that, Jesus said to Peter, uh, sheathe your sword, am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Now, this is a time when uh, they have come to arrest him. This is after the prayer. This is just a few minutes, probably, after the prayer. After this, what we just read in Luke. The, uh, the soldiers come, they are arresting him. At this point, you read a few verses beforehand, and, and they say, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And they all fall back just at the power of his words. So let's not ever think that Jesus was helpless in this situation. Let's not ever think that Jesus could not have done something to avert the cross had he chosen to. So Peter decides to take it into his own hands. He's not thinking, and Peter rarely did at this point, uh, he draws his sword, it's probably a little short sword that he's got hidden in his cloak. He, he strikes out, don't know if he was aiming for the guy's head and missed or what, but he cuts off the ear. Now, there are soldiers around here. I mean, to put it in today's per perspective, you pull out a 22 pistol and you've got, you know, 15, 20 Marines with machine guns and you think you're going to do something, that's kind of the, the level, maybe even a BB gun. Might not have even been as good as a 22. Peter's going to take it into his own hands. And Jesus says, no, stop. 
Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Look, Peter, a few months ago, I set my face to Jerusalem. This is where I was going. A few minutes ago, I prayed, God, if it is possible, take this cup, but not my will, but yours. Peter, this is my cup. This is what I was called to do. This was what I was born to do. Put up your sword. Now this cup here was likely suffering, could have also meant death. Regardless, both were about to happen. He would suffer more than any human ever has. And he would die the most undeserved death ever. He knew what the cup was going to be. But nothing nothing will prevent Jesus from fulfilling God's will. See, he could have stopped it. He had the power. They knew he had legions of angels at his beck and call. And, and there have been numerous novels written about the angels. And, and you know, it, who knows? We don't. But some really neat stories to think about. You know, the angels were probably on, you know, God, just tell us to go, and we'll get him. Your son's in trouble. We'll go. I don't know if they knew the plan or not, but they were ready. They, and, and God's, no. Jesus is no. This is the cup. This is my priority in life. Not my comfort. Not my... Uh, my uh, ability. Not my wishing it wasn't so. This is my cup. This is what I'm going to drink. He had chances to stop it, and he didn't. Jump down to verse 37 in chapter 18. Verse 37 in chapter 18, the trial, the kangaroo court of, at the Sanhedrin has occurred. He's now talking to Pilate. He's, been, he's already been beaten up in the Sanhedrin. The whippings are coming. The cross is just a few hours away. And he's standing with Pilate. And Pilate is... He let politics get in the way. But he was looking for a way to save Jesus. You know, I, he, there's nothing here. There's, I, I don't understand why they're doing this to you. But in the end, he was weak. And he would not stand up for what was right. In the end... Had Pilate not, it would have happened anyway. This was God's plan. This was the cup. But, in the course of discussion, Pilate asks Jesus if he's a king. They say you are. Are you a king? And in verse 37, and we're just going to look at kind of the middle of that verse, Jesus replied, I was born for this, and have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. He tells Pilate, yeah, well, he actually says, you say that I'm a king. He, he didn't deny it. He didn't agree with it. Wouldn't have mattered one way or the other at that point. But he says, I'll tell you what, though. I've come into the world for this. Now, the, the this, I think, references two things. One, the this 
was all that he was going through. He had come into the world to suffer, to be abused, to be crucified, and to rise from the grave. He had come into the world for this. But he keeps going and says, I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. See, Jesus knew from the beginning what his calling was. It was the purpose of his birth and his sending. Now that might sound odd that he separated those, but understand he had a physical human birth that Christmas day 33-ish years before. That was his physical birth. That's why he was born. The Son, divine, was born as a human for this. But in order for that Son to be born, that divine third, second person of the Trinity to be born, he had to be sent. God made a decision in creation past, in eternity past, rather, to send Jesus. And he tells Pilate, this is why I was born this is why I was sent. To do what? To testify to the truth. Now you might think, I might think, here would have been a great place for him to say, I was sent for this purpose, to save humanity. Would have been true. I was sent for this purpose, to suffer and to die. Would have been true. But he says instead, I was sent to testify to the truth. What truth? Just abstract truth? Just, you know, I was sent to the earth to, to testify to gravity. What goes up must come down. It's true on planets. I was sent to testify to the truth that 2 plus 2 does equal 4. That's the truth. No. And I think that's obvious. The truth that he came to testify for was the truth of sin and salvation. See, he didn't come to tell people just facts. The truth is we are sinners deserving of hell. The truth is we are hopeless, hopeless, vile, and weary we, we sang a few minutes ago. We've got nothing to offer. We have no ability on our own to fix our stinking rotten lives. And Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth that, yeah, your lives are stinking and rotten. You got nothing. The truth is, you can't save yourselves. The truth is, you're going to hell. And then he says, but sin and salvation. Because the truth is, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That is the truth. That's the truth that Jesus came to testify to. That's why he came Yes, in order to do that, he had to die on the cross. In order to do that, he had to rise from the dead. I mean, let's, let's go all the way back. Christmas is just a kid born in a feeding trough without Easter. Good Friday is just some, some dissident being crucified and killed without Easter Sunday. See, without today, Friday meant nothing. Without Friday, Christmas Day meant nothing. 
This, today, Resurrection Sunday, was the whole point. If Jesus doesn't come back, he's not God. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, does not take our sins, he does not satisfy the curse of the Old Testament that the Jews had, had worried about all their lives, which we talked about a little bit last week and in our study of Galatians on Wednesday nights. Jesus dying on the cross meant something. That type of death meant something. That cross was ours. The Old Testament says, cursed is everyone who dies on a tree. Cursed, why? Because if you were killed in that way, if you were impaled on the tree, according to the Jews, God had rejected you. See? We were rejected by God. Jesus was rejected by God, rather. Jesus took the curse. That cross was ours. We had done nothing to deserve God's favor. We, got a, we should have been on that cross. We should have been the ones that God turned his back on and let burn. And instead, Jesus came to testify, testify to the truth of sin and salvation. See, Jesus knew his calling. He knew what he came for. He came for you, and he came for me. Jesus knew why he was here. He, his entire life pointed to today. Everything that he was doing was, was focusing, was funneling down to today. For him to say three days ago, four days ago, Father, not my will, but yours. For him to say Friday morning in front of Pilate, I've come to testify to the truth. Just a couple of hours later, for him to be nailed on that cross, about 9 a.m., the land grows dark. About noon, it trembles. Three o'clock, it's finished. What's finished? Everything that led up to that moment is finished. His, his work, for the most part, on earth, his proclamation of who he was, was finished. But most importantly, the work of grace, the work of taking our sins, the work of taking our curse, taking our cross, taking our death, was finished. And he breathed his last. And the disciples and his family and with great joy, the Jewish leaders thought, it is finished. We're finally done. Or his disciples and family were thinking, man, we're done. They were ready to move on. See, Jesus knew his calling. Jesus pursued his calling. He didn't run from it. Don't don't take the prayer in the garden to mean that Jesus was running from his calling. I firmly believe Jesus meant what he prayed. 
that was a, an honest prayer. But as much as anything, I believe Jesus was giving us an example. Because this is the way Jesus worked. Even in the midst of, of the, the most intense stress and pressure. If you remember, even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who was he thinking about in the midst of that pain? All of them. In the midst of this prayer, he was thinking of all of us. And, say, and, and showing us, giving us an example, because understand, Jesus never spoke a, 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 a useless word, I don't believe. Especially not what's recorded in the Bible. So when he does this, he's showing us, look, my people, it's going to get hard. You're going to want to quit. You're going to be tempted to quit. You're going to see what comes next and say, God, I cannot do that. And I want you to remember this prayer. If it's possible, let this cup pass. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. He pursued his calling. And lastly, he was not diverted from his calling. Not Peter's sword, not, not his ability to call angels, not even his, not his ability to come down off the cross when he was up there. Nothing would divert him. So much so that if we read the, the Gospels, we see numerous times where the Jewish leaders tried to get him. They were pressing around him at one point, even in his hometown, to stone him. And he walked through the crowd unharmed. See, not only were there many times that he could have gotten out of it, there were many times that it could have happened prematurely. But Jesus was completely, as the second person of the Trinity, completely in control of the timing. And Jesus was laser-focused on the goal. He would not be diverted. It would not come early, and it would not come late. It would be right when he knew it should be. And he was willing he was willing to do that. So the question is, what about you? Are you willing to lay aside those things that get in the way of the priority of Jesus Christ? For some of you, it may be salvation. There may be a step that you have never taken. See, all this cross and all this resurrection means nothing without faith for the individual. Yes, Jesus died to save everybody. Jesus' death can save everybody. But Jesus' death and resurrection does not automatically save anybody. You have to believe. You have to place your faith in Him. There's a process that we talk about, and you're going to see it on the screen here in a few minutes, that really just kind of defines it for us. It's not the process that saves. Maybe you prayed a prayer as a child. It's not the prayer that saves. Maybe you've been in the baptistry. You may have been in this baptistry. Oh, well, that one's only a few years old. But you may have been up there. The baptism doesn't save. What must I do to be saved? Believe in your heart. That's how you're saved. And the list that we say you admit you're a sinner, yes, there's got to be a conscious recognition that I cannot save myself. There has to be a point in your life where you acknowledge, God, I am 
helpless and hopeless. I've tried to work my salvation. I have tried to do it my own way, and it's not working. I admit that I'm a sinner. And then the next step, if you want to call it a step, is to believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that Jesus died on the cross, and, and, and didn't just die because, you know, things got rough and he got executed, but he died to take your sins. What does that mean? He died to take the punishment for your sins. Sinless God dying for sinful humans on that cross. And then three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that we have a hope. The first fruits of the resurrection, it's called. He is the first one to show us that death is not eternity. Death is not the end for Christians. Honestly, death is not the end for non-Christians. We can have an eternity with him or an eternity in hell, an eternity of joy and, 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 and worship in, in the presence of God or an eternity of suffering separated from God forever. And then the next thing we do, the next step, is to confess. Jesus, I, yes, I need you, and I accept you. The Bible even puts a lot of emphasis on saying it. Because it's one thing to, to, to think it, and to, but to hold it in. You're, there's no accountability to that. I'm, I'm, I'm saved, I don't let anybody know it, because... Well, whatever the reasons. The Bible makes clear, confess. We confess with our mouths. We tell people. In most Baptist churches, we have a time where you come forward and you, and you are proclaiming to the congregation, I accept Christ today. We confess, finally, in the baptistry. Yes, I am publicly acknowledging my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm buried with Him and I'm raised with him. Because that's what happened, y'all. We as Christians, we were on that cross spiritually. Our sin was on that cross. We were buried with him, and we rose with him. We have a new life just like Jesus Christ had on that Sunday morning as Christians. But if you're not a Christian, your life is the same old stinking, rotten, on-its-way-to-hell life that, well, that has no other option but hell. So what about you? What does your life say your priority is? Does your life say that Jesus Christ is a priority? Does your life say that uh, Jesus Christ, the, the acceptance of that salvation is a priority? Let's back up here for a second though. I said earlier, you, you get his salvation and we talked about this last week. I'm going to go into it again. When you accept him as Savior, Jesus paid your debt. You were a slave to sin, and Jesus paid for you. Paid for your freedom. He didn't buy you. He paid for your freedom. So he went to whoever owned you and said, Here is the debt paid. Or rather, here is the debt paid. He's free. Now, we take that freedom, and what do we do? We need to make him our, our Lord. We need to make him our master. We need to go to him and say, 
Thank you for setting me free. In return, I put myself under your lordship and under your service, into your service. See, that's making Jesus Savior and Lord. And I think if we only do one, eventually we're going to be one of those seeds in Matthew that got thrown on rocky soil that looked good for a while, but then got snatched up either by the birds or was killed by the sun. Something came along. There was no salvation there. There was the appearance of salvation because we did not make him Lord of our lives. So what is your priority? What does your life say your priority is? Today, you have the opportunity to get that straight. Today, you can accept Jesus Christ. Exactly what I went through a few minutes ago is now on the screen. Today's your day. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how embarrassed you might be. I was baptized. I don't care. I prayed a prayer. I don't care. And I guarantee you, no one here will care either. I guarantee you, and if they do, I'll tell them to shut their mouths. I guarantee you nobody will say, well, he got baptized when he was a kid. Why is he up there now? I don't care. I want to know that your soul is in the hands of God and not damned to eternal hell. So today is your day. Disregarding the past, disregarding the people around you, what is your decision today? What are you going to do? Mike and Etta are going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that today is the day of salvation for someone here. Lord, work on the hearts. Work on the hearts that are just stone hard. Lord, soften those hearts. Years of, of, of a life not lived for you. Years of reacting to what goes on in churches. Because God, we're made up of sinners. That's just the way it works. Sometimes things in a church are great and sometimes they stink. But things are always great with you. So Lord, I pray that today hearts will be broken. That you will move mightily in lives this morning. And that we will know your salvation. We will get that straight if we haven't. God, move in this place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So my question is, what is he inviting you to do? Is he inviting you to accept him this morning? Let's do that. Let's get that straight. Have you, have you accepted Christ, but you need to be baptized? Let's talk about it. Have you accepted Christ, but you've not made that public? You want today to be the first day where you confess. You do the C part of the ABC. You confess by your actions this morning to everyone here, I trust Christ. Because we want to celebrate that with you. Maybe you want to, you need to be used. You know there are things that this church is doing that we can't do without you. And God's calling you to be a part of it. Come be a part. Maybe for some of you it's come back and be a part. What is God doing in your lives? And lastly, maybe you just want to join the church. Maybe you want to become a member. Not because your name on the roll does anything for you. doesn't save you more. But it says to the people, to this church, and it says to God, God, I am committing. 
I'm committing to be a part of this church. I'm putting my name on paper. I'm signing a something and saying, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in this place. Use me. What's your decision this morning? Come talk to me. We're going to have a couple of deacons up here. If you want to feel more comfortable talking to them, that's fine. Grab somebody if you want to talk to them. But come, let's talk about some things this morning. Get me after church and talk to me. Fill out a card if you feel better. Come back this week and talk to me. Y'all, let's talk. Let's get this worked out. Let's stand as we sing this morning our invitation hymn.